Banking institutions have been making big investments to enhance fraud detection and prevention. But what technologies have proven the most effective and which channels and lines of business are getting the most fraud mitigation attention? Hi, I'm Tracy Kitten with Information Security Media Group, and I'm here today with Jerry Silva, a new research director at IDC Financial Insights, who shares his thoughts about emerging fraud schemes, risky channels, and tech investments that are getting the most attention. Jerry, across what channels and lines of business would you say fraud is growing the most? Well, actually, I see it growing pretty much across all of the channels, uh, growing organically. But the one channel that's kind of surprised me over the last six months has been the contact center, where you don't typically think about fraud. But I've talked to a lot of institutions who are now seeing fraud coming out of the contact center uh, from the perspective of social engineering. So folks, uh, fraudsters calling into the contact center, getting information, getting access to accounts, and then going through another channel, be it the ATM or the online channel, to actually commit the fraud and initiate transfers or withdrawals or payments. So out of all the channels I've seen, I think that one surprises me the most. Talking about call center fraud, Jerry, this is an area that has been talked about quite a bit in the last 12 to 16 months, I would say. What are institutions doing to help mitigate the risks there? Well, that's a tricky one. Banks are in a bind when it comes to the contact center because most of the social engineering that's taking place is during banking vulnerability, where either the online system is down or there's a sudden rush for consumers to call a contact center for one reason or another. And so the contact center is kind of stuck in this position of, you know, we're trying to please the customer, especially nowadays, given given customers' attitudes towards banks. The, the bank contact center agent is trying to please the customer and finds themselves sometimes, you know, either bypassing the existing process or somehow shortcutting the system and uh, thereby unwittingly giving out information that perhaps they, sh- they wouldn't have given out had the circumstances been different. Um, and I think that's that's where the banks are caught today is in that balance between how much do we, you know, put our customers through this onerous process of authentication at the contact center and what is that costing us from a customer service perspective. Jerry, we'll go back and talk about some of the different technologies that banking institutions are investing in. But before we do that, I'd like to talk about some of the other channels and lines of business where you see fraud growing. What can you say about card fraud and how it's changed in the last year? Given the news stories that we've heard lately, I think it's, it's obviously moving away, and it has been moving away from individual card fraud. In years past, uh, going back for as, as long as credit cards have been around, there's always been card fraud from the perspective of a spouse or a child uh, or, or a friend taking card information or actually taking the physical card and then going off and, and creating fraudulent transactions. And that moved to you know individual fraud, getting somebody's account number um, and committing fraud that way. And I think the last 12 months you've seen fraud on a much more massive scale where the criminals are now hacking into databases, uh, hacking into payments systems, and being able to generate millions and millions of card numbers or, or access millions and millions of card numbers, and then you know showing a, a level of sophistication that's just you know, been recently exhibited, uh, being able to commit fraud on a massive scale over a very, very short time period. And so uh, card fraud in general, I think, has moved from that you know, mom-and-pop phase, if you will, to criminal enterprise. ATM risks, of course, tie into card fraud as well, but are there specific risks that you see affecting the ATM channel? I don't think anything new that that we haven't seen in the past. Certainly skimming at the ATM has always been there. Um, Hopefully with the introduction of EMV into this country, that'll start stemming that tide. Where I see the ATM channel now taking place is not so much the origin of fraud, but much more in terms of cashing out on the fraud. 
Uh, so again, going back to my previous point where the criminals are actually gathering account information, able to create uh, blank cards with mag stripes on them, and then using the ATM, again, not as a point of origination for fraud, but as a point of withdrawal, cashing it out. So I think that the role of the ATM is, is a little different nowadays than it used to be with respect to fraud. And what about online and mobile fraud? How have attacks against those channels changed in the last year? Well, again, I think in terms of the online fraud, that's not that not that any, any of these other channels, the ATM or the online bank, have decreased in terms of fraud. But certainly, you know, the growth is still there. But again, I think you're seeing fraud on a much more massive scale uh, with regard to the criminals going in and hacking databases. Um, gathering all this information you know, on a much larger scale than we've seen in the past and then using that to cash out of the ATM or to create uh, prepaid cards. With online, it's, I think, the same stuff we've always seen, the information gathered during social uh, engineering and being able to transfer funds in or out. I think what, what I've seen in the past 12 to 18 months is much more fraud against business than consumers. Certainly that sector has grown, if you will. Um, and I think with respect to mobile, that's yet to be seen. We're just now getting a sense for how vulnerable the mobile channel is as well. You can kind of look at it as, as the fraudsters kind of poking their noses here and there and looking for the weaknesses in the mobile channel. And uh, unless something is done sooner rather than later, we're going to you know, be two years from now, a year and a half from now, you and I will be talking about you know the, the massive mobile fraud that's happening in the industry. Now, going back to what you touched on earlier when you were talking about the contact center or the call center fraud, how are banking institutions addressing some of the risks that they're seeing across these channels? I think there are a couple of different ways of looking at this. In some cases, like in the ATM, you almost have to look at it as point solutions. You know, what do I do for the online bank to uh, increase authentication? And certainly that's going to be important for mobile as well. What do I do with the mobile channel that might be a little different than online? Uh, and a little different than ATM to protect that channel. The ATM, again, you know, looking at that the introduction of EMV into the U.S. is a good thing. Uh, again, very much a point solution. I think what banks have been looking at already with regard to technology solutions is uh, looking at fraud from an enterprise perspective. So can we gather all of the transaction information across all of the channels and somehow make that, that fraud detection much more consistent? Contact center is a little different. Contact center, I think, has more to do with people and process. And this is going to have to go all the way back to HR, you know, hiring the right people, and then the training part of their jobs. How do we train them to continue to be rigid during the authentication process regardless of what's happening in the channel? And maybe you have to look at compensation policies because you know that on the contact center side, sometimes sales, you know, cross-sales is very important. And if you're rewarding your folks, based on things like either cross-selling where they want to please the customer during the phone call or if you're basing bonuses or any kind of performance metric against uh, queue waiting times, how long the customer's waiting before they speak to an agent. You really have to look at those things and say, well, am I willing to relax some of those constraints, relax some of those metrics during the time of an online banking outage, let's say, to essentially give the agent permission to leave people on the line longer maybe not live up to their customers' expectations with regard to service so that you're not being more relaxed on the authentication side. So, you know, most of the channels, it's about technology and about the enterprise look. Contact center is a little different. 
contact center, I think, is much more about how are you doing things rather than what are you, you know, what kinds of technologies are there. Would you say, Jerry, I know you've touched on customer satisfaction and customer convenience, but from a fraud prevention perspective, do you think the banking institutions are approaching it correctly? Are they focusing too much on compliance and perhaps customer service and not enough on security? Well, that's a tough one, right? You have to comply to regulations. And so from that perspective, banks are spending enormous amounts of money today complying. And it's almost a catch-22. If they're focusing too much on regulatory compliance, then maybe they're not spending enough on security and anti-fraud, which then gets them in trouble. And then here comes the government with more regulation. It's difficult striking that balance. I think they're giving the appropriate amount of time and investments on both sides. It's a tricky dance. I do know banks are implementing technology solutions. I do know banks that are looking, starting to look at or have looked at fraud from an enterprise perspective, uh, cross-channel perspective. I think some of these emerging areas might be needing a little more focus with regard to, you know, social engineering at the contact center or, you know, what do we do about mobile going forward. I think most of the institutions have the right amount of balance when it comes to the big picture things, security and compliance, regulatory compliance, and uh, enterprise fraud detection. I think it's some of these up-and-coming things that they may want to spend a little more time and investment on. So let's talk a little bit about the technology, Jerry. You recently joined IDC, and your expected focus is going to be geared toward technology. In what technology are banks making their greatest investments? Well, so again, you almost have to divide the question into two things. If you're looking at absolute spending, it's going to be a different take. So banks are spending a lot of money these days on on things like risk and compliance, a huge, huge focus for, for investments. But in terms of where you see the new investments, I see a lot of banks looking at you know, the continued question of what do we do on social media? What do we do in um, security in terms of these tactical things? What do we do in mobile? How are we investing our money in, in the mobile channel, including not just the phone, but, you know, other form factors like tablet? Is, is tablet a fundamentally different channel, let's say, than the phone? I also have seen a lot of maybe strategic interest uh, to be followed by investment in areas like cloud computing. You know, how different is cloud computing from what we already know as third-party outsource, as well as big data. Big data is a huge subject right now. I'm not sure if it requires a whole lot of investment, but whatever investments they're making are absolutely strategic at this point. Are we talking about big data with regard to what we can gather from the social sites? What kind of data can we get from Facebook, for example? And then what kind of analytics do we run through that unstructured data to get some business value out of it? So, you know, large amounts of money spending on the old tried-and-true things like compliance, uh, but a lot of very strategic investments when it comes to, quote-unquote, the new innovations around cloud, around big data, around mobility. Do you see banking institutions investing in the right types of solutions? I mean, is it misguided to be focusing so much attention on big data and mobile, for instance? You know, I don't think it's misguided, and I don't think a lot of money has been spent yet on actually purchasing solutions in those areas, particularly in terms of things like big data. I think the smart investment is the one they're making now with regard to the people. Let's say, you know, do we have the right people in place at the institution to be able to look at these things and know for sure that future investments are going to be spent wisely? You know, the only one I would caution on is big data, because in my mind, big data seems to be one of those things that could potentially turn out to be, you know, data warehouse version 2, CRM version 2 where a lot of work was done, a lot of money was thrown away, frankly. And while it led to a better understanding of analytics, that particular topic was overspent on. That, in my mind, is the potential downfall around big data. I do believe there's value in this thing we're calling big data, but I think you have to look at it very, very carefully 
And uh, right now it's not solutions-based so much as that kind of discovery process. And I think the banks are spending, for the most part, the right amount of money in that space. So what trends or technology trends do you see emerging this year? One that I've been talking about a lot. I mean, so we've talked about things like big data and mobility, and, and certainly banks are continuing to spend time and money on those areas. And those are trends that are you know, in process right now. The one that I've kind of looked at as being very interesting is around core transformation in the U.S. banks. We're seeing a couple of foreign banks, the Sovereign Santander deal, for example, or BBVA Compass, where they're starting to upgrade their core systems in a a completely different environment than the one in which they were developed. And, you know, we've always talked about some of the reasons for replacing the core was to get away from batch, existing batch kind of limited our product availability, what kinds of products we could deliver. So it'd be interesting to see what happens with those two banks specifically. It's one thing to quote an example from Spain and say, well, this is what, you know, real-time core meant to them, but you're in a different market here. And I think those two banks kind of have to prove the value of the core replacement. It's, you know, it's a lot of money invested to do that. It's uh, careers are at stake when you're replacing the core system, particularly at a large regional or national bank. And so I think that's going to be one of the very interesting things that will play out over the next 12 months is how is the core replacement helping out those two specific institutions? Will we be seeing product innovation, something that other banks can't do without a core replacement? Is it going to be just a you know, very expensive experiment? that fundamentally doesn't change the game in the U.S. I've kind of got my eye on on that particular topic over the next 12 months. And then before we close, Jerry, what final advice would you like to offer banking institutions? Being an ex-banker myself, I I always tend to favor very careful investigation of things like cloud and things like big data and make sure that we're not overzealous with regard to those kinds of things. Certainly, we've got other things on our plate around compliance, around fraud, to keep us busy for a while. I think, you know, we were talking about contact center. I think the, the overall topic of personnel efficiencies or personnel effectiveness is a very interesting one as well. Are we using our people to the greatest extent, especially with the branch in question today? How can we leverage the experts that we have in the contact center, for example, without manning every single branch with every single kind of expert we have? So we've got those kinds of keeping the lights on kind of topics, which is taking a lot of investment, a lot of focus, but we don't want to lose focus on the new stuff either. It's just a question of how do you balance those two things out. Again, this could be just me, you know, the old banker, saying we need to be a little conservative. We need to make sure we've got the business value in sight when we do these things. But the one good thing about today's technology is that it does let you pilot. It does let you experiment and do proof of concepts rather quickly and rather cheaply, and expect failures. I mean, that's the only way you can learn. If you want to play with social media for a while, do that. But you have to make sure that your mindset is one that says, you know what, if this doesn't work, we can stop it or we can change it, we can modify it, we can be agile with regard to how we implement it. You've got to make sure that the day-to-day stuff is solid, rock solid, and that you're open to experimenting with new innovations. Jerry, I'd like to thank you again for your time this afternoon. Thank you, Tracy. Again, we've just heard from Jerry Silva of IDC. For Information Security Media Group, I'm Tracy Kitten.